All right, so James chapter 2, um, we're going to be uh, teaching out of verses 1 through 13. So I'm going to read out of the New American Standard just because that's what I've got. And um, some of the verbs and numbers, I, I don't just um, stick out to me, but if you've got maybe the message or something, maybe you want to actually read it yourself while I read it because some people don't particularly love the New American Standard. Um, so I'm just going to read the whole section here, and then we'll dive into it a little bit. And I'll try and keep it a little brief, so the kids like mine, um, hopefully we don't surpass your attention span. So, James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, I think the big theme here um, that I want to speak to is kind of the favoritism, partiality, the sin of partiality is what my heading between my Bible says, and um, it's kind of a big deal because it's very contrary to the nature of God, and as we all know, like, the, the Bible reveals to us God's character, and his law is meant to um, have us act in accordance with his character, consistently with his nature, and partiality is just contrary to God's nature, and I think it's um, something we know um, the human race knows it intuitively. You, you won't find a culture in the world that values injustice or um, partiality. And a huge hallmark of true justice is this impartiality. Lady justice is often um, a statue, a woman statue with a blindfold, and that's representing, like, she's not a respecter of persons. Um, this idea that justice is not a respecter of persons is completely biblical, and it, it comes to us from the first parts of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And we can look in um, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We'll start with uh, Leviticus, since it comes first, I guess. Um, so Leviticus chapter 19, and I'll, I'll be jumping around a little bit, but I'll try and go a little fast and, um, like I say, not exceed the attention span of the world the little ones. So in Leviticus 19, verse 15, this is God giving his law. He says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And actually, I'll read a little bit uh, more out of here because it's just a wonderful um, passage. So I'll begin in 12, but we'll run um, up through 21, and I'll skip a, a small section there. So if you just write that down, you can read it all. 
Um, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And then picking up in verse 16, 16, circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien, a.k.a. immigrant, a.k.a. refugee, by giving him food and clothing. So you show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. I mean, it's pretty clear, like, God is an impartial God, right? But, um, you know, Old Testament, some people uh, kind of, um, maybe their eyes glaze over a little bit with the Old Testament because we live in the New Testament here, for like people say. So, picking that up, though, um, I mean, we know the New Testament is this fulfillment of what God began in the Old Testament. So Peter, you know, this is this is our story as Gentile believers. Um, until Cornelius' vision and Peter going to Cornelius, like the Gentiles were still pretty much excluded. And this this is the defining moment where our story in the Church of God comes into play. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34, this is Peter. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And King James likes to use a, a phrase, respecter of persons. And um, there was a guy when I was uh, in grad school, he was he, he worked for the university. He was uh, middle-aged, probably in his 50s. And he was kind of a legend a little bit. He... Uh, he apparently had inherited several million dollars, and um, he just didn't care, kind of. And uh, someone remarked at him, and it was kind of a high comment. Um, they're like, because <laughs> he had kind of sharply rebuked maybe the dean of our college. Not rebuked, but what, it's just been a little direct. Like he would have been to a freshman or something, and the guy's like, yeah, he doesn't care who anyone is. You know, he's he just speaks his mind. It doesn't matter if you're the <laughs> president or if you're he just speaks his mind and you know I think uh, part of that was because I mean he didn't have to worry about what people thought he wasn't out to get anything from anyone and I think that's a good attitude to have as Christians we shouldn't view people as what can we get from these people what can I get from him what can I get from him it's not about what we can get from people and and that is how partiality, I think, really takes root in our lives is when we start viewing people through a lens of what we can get. And that's why it's so easy to be partial to the wealthy or the famous. Um, recently, there was a famous recording artist who released an album and was very public you know, in his profession of faith. And it was kind of a new thing for this individual. And suddenly, he was having platforms to speak from pulpits um, from large churches and whatnot. And Peter Smith made a comment, um, not disparaging, you know, he was... Being gracious, but saying it's we just have to be careful because we don't often just go find like if your neighbor you lead him to the Lord, he doesn't suddenly get invited to speak from a national platform. And why is this? Well, it's because this person's a celebrity. We want to hear what they say, and uh, there can be a little bit of partiality in there. But the you know, and we're we're human. I'm not going to be too down on 
being interested in what um, people have to say. Uh, if you're huge into NASCAR or football, and if um, you know the NFL, and there's a, a quarterback who's um, maybe giving a message at your local church, it's it's good to be interested and go um, listen to that person. There's something wrong with that. What what's wrong is when we start to give more credence to what they say, and maybe someone who's walked faithfully with God, studied their word, aligned their life accordingly, and is teaching the word faithfully, like. That we need to give credence to the truth taught based on the truth taught, not by the person teaching it. Um, and uh, I kind of read, the, all right, there's one reason I read this out of the New American Standard, um, and that's because it's verse one. I just wanted to read this again. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So, you know, we're talking about partiality here, but. Um, Maybe partiality and favoritism isn't your thing. Maybe like this guy from my school, you just don't care. You're not a respected person. I think it's good and even um, a good exegesis to take this and, and um, say, uh, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of, and you can fill in the blank. What is it that you are struggling with? Holding your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of anger towards people, with an attitude of pride, with an attitude of maybe envy or resentment? Like, how are you holding your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of, you know? Um, and the example we're given in this section is the rich man and the poor man. And, um, you know, I think in the church, we, we struggle with this often. We generally get it right, um, but it's good to wrestle through this each time we find this in the scriptures. It's, it's often, you know, the, the rich, the poor. Is it virtuous to be poor? Is it virtuous to be rich and have resources for his kingdom? Like what, you know, and we struggle with this because of, there's many teachings where um, there are cautions against uh, wealth or the pursuit of wealth. And so, you know, this is nothing we haven't heard before, but again, I think it's good to be reminded of this. It's not a sin it's, or virtue to be poor. It's not a sin or virtue to be wealthy. Um, but as James says here in verse 5, did God not choose the poor to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? In my own life story, I, there have been seasons where I've had less um, material goods or resources, whether that's money or just time or whatever, and there's been seasons I've had more. And in all honesty, if I'm happy honest, like my faith has been strengthened most when I've been in the seasons of lack, when I have lacked maybe what I thought I needed to, to make it, to get through. Um, and and that is, is a blessing. Those seasons are blessings. They strengthen our faith. And I think that's why many people who are resource disadvantaged have great faith because they are experienced and relying on God. And um, when we get into seasons where we have more, I think we just need to be very careful to find ways to strengthen our faith. And maybe you can be, um, it, so again, being rich doesn't mean you don't have opportunity to strengthen your faith. Maybe you have a six-figure job and you're an executive, and it's a strength, it's a test of your faith to figure out how to live for your faith in your workplace when, you know, you're fearing if you take a stand, you might lose your job. So there's opportunities to grow our faith regardless of our circumstances. Um but, you know, so, 
I'll, I'll just summarize the one thought, but then give it another thought. A lack of material possessions can be a source of great focus and strength in our pursuit of the things of God. A lack of those distractions can be a source of great strength. An abundance of material possessions can become an encumbrance or a hindrance on single-minded focus and devotion to the kingdom of God. However, a lack of material possessions accompanied by a desire for those material possessions can be equally distracting from a single-hearted pursuit of the things of God as having those things. And so 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, um, I'll go there because I didn't have time to uh, type it out, so I'll find it in my Bible here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're familiar with this, I'm sure. But again, let's just read it so we remind ourselves. Picking up in uh, verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. And um, I think I'm going to skip this just in the, uh, for the sake. Well, I, write this one down. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. I think this is an excellent prayer to prayer over our lives. Two things I ask of thee do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. For every one of us, our portion will be a little different. Like, and, and seek God's face and what what is his portion for your life. Um, in the perfect law of love, I mean, we've got to... James is a little bit like Proverbs. Um, it's, it's a lot of little, short, very wise... A lot of wisdom packed into almost each verse. And it can start to sound or read like a list of do's and don'ts. And that's not entirely bad, except it can be. You know, if we just make a list of do's and don'ts, we just check out the list and keep going. Um, and we can kind of lose true north a little bit. And James takes opportunity here in verse 8 to recenter us, to bring us back to true north, to the center. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And that section in Deuteronomy I read, you know, it, it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And this is where James is taking this. This is the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all heart, mind, soul, strength. The second is to love our neighbor as ourself, which is what he's talking here. The parallels between Deuteronomy there, chapter 10, and this section of James are really striking in that way, you know. Um, the partiality, the royal law, but this this is the heart of the law. With all these do's and don'ts in James chapter 1, chapter 2, the law, the heart of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, um, I don't want to go too long here, so I'm going to just close um, with kind of last verse. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, if you haven't read this story from the Gospels of the man who was owed many talents, the servant who was forgiven a huge debt and then went out and tried to exact a small debt of his own from the servant. I mean, this today would be a great day just to read that, remind yourself of that, because um, that's a, it's a excellent 
summary of, of <laughs> where we're at in Christ. We've been forgiven a great debt. And we have an obligation to forgive our debtors, to forgive those who have harmed us, who have wronged us, who owe us something. That's, I mean, that's the gospel, right? So James, the do's, the don'ts, you can start reading like he's a list, and yet James brings us back to the gospel. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We've been shown a lot of mercy, and it's our duty, it's our joy to extend that mercy to others. And, uh, you know, I've been seeing a campaign uh, from North Dakota. I really love it, actually. It says, never quit quitting. And it's it's an anti-smoking campaign. And I, maybe with COVID, they're really pushing this anti I don't know, but it's like, never quit quitting. And I'm like, man, that is really wise, right? Um, in our struggle against sin, never quit quitting. Like, if you're an angry person... <laughs> Keep fighting that and seek God and the strength of his Holy Spirit to give you victory in that. But keep fighting. Never quit quitting. And in that, you know, rest in God's mercy. As you keep quitting, you know, God's mercy is there. His forgiveness is there. And uh, extend that 